What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hey, everybody. Got a little treat for you uh, today. I um, recorded some conversations I had with uh, my good friends, who I'll introduce in a second, while we were on vacation together in Florida a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm going to play you those conversations. I'm going to share some stats with you as introduction to this episode. So um, before the lockdowns of 2020, around 3% of U.S. students were homeschooled. And that year of the lockdowns, the number of families increased dramatically who either, one, didn't want their children to become numbed into stupidity by the screen-fed teaching methods that public schools adopted overnight, or they just didn't want them simply to be addicted to screens, um, which, again, was the chosen method, or two, they were exhausted by the runaround inconsistency of masking and distancing policies. Um, I, I, I uh, had plenty of friends who felt like they were on the end of a yo-yo, and it would change. Sometimes uh, there would be different policies in, that changed in the middle of the week, um, or th- they simply feared that being around masked people all day was hurting their children's socialization, something that we know is true. Or three, they saw the increased, um, there was just a ramping up of forced enculturation into socialism, reverse racism, um, affirmation of sexual perversion. They just saw these things ramping up in public school systems. So they, they saw these three things. And that year, the number of homeschooling students increased by 63%. This is what we're being told in, in retrospect. Um, the, the U.S. government census says that as we were returning to some kind of normalcy in 21-22, that number only fell by 17%. Only 17% of people who left public schools for any reason in the lockdown year um, actually went back. So this is a dramatic increase in the number of families who, have, who are hitting the eject button from public schools. I just want to make a note before we proceed, and that is that you don't have to, you don't have to homeschool, Okay. And you don't even have to, I, th- I think I can still say this because I, I, I don't actually have any uh, information for this. I'd love to hear it from our listeners, but um, I don't think that you have to leave public school yet. Um, I don't know where you are. If you have a great public school and God-fearing teachers or at least a neutral school system that doesn't defy your worldview, I'd, I'd actually love to hear that. I don't think I can make a blanket statement that you have to leave public school. What you do have to do, this this I'm sure of, what everybody listening has to do is they we do have to monitor what our children are being taught. Um, and I personally, I'm as concerned as what they're being taught in the cracks at school culturally. I, I'm saying in the cracks in quotes. Um culturally as what the school books say that they're reading. And I am concerned about the school books, um, but I'm also concerned about the culture uh, of the school. I mean, I'm, I care about how a teacher addresses a child who says that they're non-binary. I, I, I'm very interested in how a teacher handles that argument because it, it's enculturating the entire classroom. I care about how the teacher and school decorate the classrooms and hallways. I care about how a white child or a black child could be learning that one skin color is to be preferred over another. Um, so you, what you must do is, is Ephesians 6.4. You must train your child in the fear and admonition of God. And that obviously also means that you're to prevent them 
from being trained in the hatred and scoffing and flaunting of God and his ways. So, um, so I, I mean, I think it's sort of basic 101 kind of stuff. But as the cultural heat gets turned up, um, and by the way, please know that it will be turned up. Read your Bibles. Uh, history is not a flat line. Um, things get worse as as the story goes on. See passages like Second Timothy three, and First Thessalonians, and Peter's letters, and Revelation, and we can see that there is a ramping up of evil as time goes by, and it gets real bad at the end. Um, but but as the cultural heat gets turned up, you Abrahams, we're going to have to draw very clear lines in our homes and around our children's influences. And I don't, I know that could sound controlling or the opposite of progressive. I'm not sure what kind of names get, get lobbied and fundamentalist. I don't know what, what, uh, what names get thrown at that kind of sentiment, but I'll say it again. As the heat gets turned up, as, as the timelines go on and the heat gets turned up culturally all of the Abrahams out there, the godly family leaders, are going to have to draw very clear lines in our homes and around our children's influences. Uh, I don't mean to get off topic, but it, I'm trying to give this as an example. If you're not um, curating the kind of um, entertainment influence that comes into your home and into your television and onto the screens that your children see, you are asleep at the wheel. We, we have to curate these things. We have to dis- discern good from evil. We have to discern, this is God talking over and over, the clean, you have to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. That can come into our home, that cannot come into our home. Um, that image is acceptable around here. That image is not acceptable. So my expectation of you listeners, I know this is a long, long introduction here, but my expectation of you listeners is that one, you're, e- you're either already out of public schools. So you're in private schools or you're homeschooling or you're doing some combination. In my house, we we're part of a we have been part of a co-op in the past. We're part of a, a part-time school right now that meets two days a week, or you're some other non-public form of education, or two, um, you're considering these these things more seriously than ever. Um, you might have come up in public school like I did, but you're thinking it ain't like it was, and I'm not sure I can send my kids back there with a clear conscience. I, my expectation is that you're just considering these things more than you ever have. So for both of those audiences, whether you're already out or you're just, you're just thinking, you're just considering, I thought I would present to you my good friends, uh, Mark and Bethany Douglas. So you've heard from Mark before. He's been on our podcast a couple of times. Bethany... Uh, you might not. You might have come across her organically, um, because uh, she is the she's the author of a, a blog and a little Instagram feed, um, and she's kind of an influencer. Her her thing is called Cloistered Away. Um, um, Mark's thing is called he he leads a design uh, business in Texas. It's called Fidelis Studios, and if you need. Um, rebranding or marketing or SEO help or any of that stuff, and you're anywhere in Texas, um, you should you should call Fidelis Studios. They're centrally located and they, they travel all around the state. Um, Mark also leads something called the Viceroy Project, where he's really trying to do the same thing that we're trying to do here, and that is help families to be strong in the Lord and... Um, know who they are so that they can um, face the world uh, victoriously. So um, I'm interested in talk, I'm interested in you hearing um, some of their experiences and their thoughts because they've been doing homeschooling a long time. And so they have a lot of experience. They have four children, um, the youngest of whom is 
13 and we t- we talked to uh, Mark recently about her bat mitzvah celebration that's olive and their oldest is Liam who is in college right now so they they have homeschooled kids and they've homeschooled kids out of homeschool and into college world and so I thought you would benefit from their take on homeschooling so Let's go uh, poolside. I actually <laughs> recorded our conversations poolside because we were all just hanging out and thought it was a good time to get some thoughts from them. Um, here we go. Here's Mark and Bethany Douglas. But let's go back, back, back to the advent of the Douglas family homeschool. Tell me about uh, how that decision was made. What were the pain points? Liam, the oldest, was an infant, only maybe a few weeks old. And I was in a bookstore reading and holding him. He was sleeping in my arms. And somebody randomly came up, talked to me about a book, and she asked, are you going to homeschool? And I thought, what? (laughs) I just had a baby. I've just made it to this side of birth and I had, it had never crossed my mind. So I was like, I have no idea. I don't know that I planned on it, but I just kind of moved on. And then when I moved to our town currently, there were three friends who, so Liam at this point was two. And I began, um, talking with friends and they said they were for sure going to homeschool and I just thought what you've already made this decision like he's two so they were talking about homeschooling based on they had been connected to an older homeschooling family and they just were kind of like that's what we're going to do and so I I think all of those like little nuggets kind of planted the seed for me to be thinking about it long before I had to make a decision about it. So when Liam was three, and at this point, when Liam turned three, I had my third. So our first three are 17 months apart each. So we, you know, I had him in a Mother's Day out two days a week with some friends. And during that time, I just began praying and asking the Lord about it. And Mark and I had had lots of conversations about the idea, theoretically, but I just began praying about it. Mark and I went, we went and visited the public elementary school and just to see, because I was like, I don't even know what they do in kindergarten. You know, what is a typical kindergarten classroom? So... We went, we talked with one of the kindergarten teachers there just to find out. And she had no idea, I think, to even know what to do with us. (laughs) She was like, I had all these very specific questions because I had been doing so much reading. You what? We do what we do. Yeah. (laughs) Just give us your kid and leave. Yes, that was very much like she she seemed kind of annoyed. And to her credit, we we were there on her break, period. And knowing how much teachers do and how essential that break is. But she seemed kind of like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is what we do. We, like, work through these letters. They have this technology available to them. You know, this is kind of the way our schedule goes. But, you know, they're not prepared to have to convince this no. the the parent why it's valuable for you no. to send their child they're there. They're sales pitch and they're, they're not. not. A competition. That's exactly. So, um She was more frustrated with us, I think, than anything, just because I think she didn't have answers for us for some of the questions that I had, because I'd been doing reading at this point. So So were you underwhelmed by her? Yes, I was underwhelmed by the whole experience. And then, so we went and looked at all the private schools in our area. We just went to like observe and kind of see what are we even comparing. So we went and we talked to them about like what's the ethos of the school, you know? So there would be maybe one school that inclusivity was their primary objective and they wanted, you know, high academics, but they wanted to make sure that all, um, that everybody was treated equally and the same. And that was their like primary goal was inclusivity of all religions, of all races, um, of all what would now be sexuality, although that wasn't discussed that day. 
but I'm sure that they would say that. Yes. And then we went all the way to, you know, the private Christian school, to the Episcopal school, to the Catholic church, to the Catholic school. We just wanted to see and compare. And um, they were all great experiences. I felt like there were really quick cross-offs for us. Like, nope, not interested. This is really cool. Or they have this amazing science lab or they have these amazing technologies, but we don't see our kids here. So there were really quick cross-offs in that, in that process. Um, but I think in, in the end, Mark and I, as we continued to pray, it wasn't like we had this big bolt of lightning experience where it was like, this is what you need to do. It was just one, there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything that felt like home. One. And two, I, um, I just... I, I don't know. I, I think that there, Mark and I had this conversation at one point where he's like, it's very possible that we could spend a million dollars on our kids' education, K through 12. And they could be really brilliant and be terrible people. Like, that's possible. That's possible that they could be really brilliant and not know the Lord. And so we just were kind of evaluating what is our objective? Like, in as we think about our kids' education, what is our goal? And is it just that they would be academic, have academic prowess, or that they would get into a top elite school? Well, you know, what is it? So we kind of had to fish through a lot of that. And I think primarily while we wanted our kids to, um, we wanted them to be bright. We wanted them to be able to think critically. We wanted them to be able to read broadly and have discussions broadly. Our primary objective was that they would be who the Lord had them to be and that they could grow actually into those people best under our Let me our ask caring. you an obvious question. Yes. Do you think that the kind of school that uh, your children are in can either help or hurt whether they end up as uh, fully formed disciples or not? I do. And I say this, that I really feel like the Lord will meet any parent wherever, whatever they choose, and that child. I just think the Lord uses all sorts of things, but understanding that you as the parent are the primary, have primary responsibility and mentorship over the whole child is going to be a little bit harder if your children are not at home. So you're, there's different trade-offs is what I mean to say. So if your child is in school, is in a school, then you need to be prepared as a parent to be deeply invested in that school community and in what's happening whether it's, if it's a private school, then you can have influence in the pedagogy, you can have influence in um, maybe some of the activities of the school. As a public school, you'll have less, less autonomy for that, but you can have influence in the character and the presence of you know, the culture. And so I think the idea that homeschooling requires everything, and if I just send my kids to school, then I have a break for eight hours of day. That is the broken mindset. So if your children are somewhere, it just means you're going to have to be there with them. So I realize that not everybody feels equipped for whatever reason to homeschool, and I think that there's grace for that. But I also um, think that it's harder to understand your role as a parent when you've had, um, when it's been delegated, when some of those things have been delegated to other adults who may not have the same culture, who may not have the same culture. Like they may not actually have the same mindset and desire for your children. They may desire. So I spoke recently with a mother who is now homeschooling, but her kids started in private school. I mean, public school, sorry. And she said to me that they're having to, you know, untrain some things because, you know, the primary objective is that your kids learn how to turn stuff in. It's like that they learn how to do the work that's assigned to them. It's not actually character training. And so they're having to undo a lot of character training with that has happened because formation is happening regardless. 
Like there is formation happening regardless. Education is the same. It is, yes, absolutely. So when you have, you know, Charlotte Mason, who's, you know, one of the leading, you know, I would say the leading voices and leading pedagogies in homeschooling, you know, when she says that an education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life, that is difficult to achieve outside of your home, especially in the little years. Like now that our kids are into their teen years, there's a whole lot more activity that's happening outside. But I feel like all of the, all of the years in the little years were just building bridge. They were tying heartstrings. So every read aloud, every pause, every math lesson, every play outside, every like time that you have this agenda and it gets chucked because everybody's having a bad day and you have to just address hearts and you have to tend hearts. All of that actually creates a bridge that you can stand on in the teen years. So it's creating these rela relational ties because in the teen years you have you need those relational ties to bear weight, especially with the modern culture. Yeah, I would just say my wife is so kind and so gentle and accommodating and she wouldn't ever want to say anything that would like ruffle feathers. That's that's one of the things I love about her. Yeah. I did 10 years in public ed, and I, as a teacher, yeah, educator, yes, and I kept telling Bethany, you could do, you could do homeschooling at half your capability, and they would still come out ahead. That's what I think, because it's not just, as, as people, education-wise, across the board, um, I was always shocked at how much wasted time was happening. I was shocked at uh, how low the bar increasingly became. It happened incrementally. Um, and I saw them uh, always uh, teaching to a test, some sort of test, that then when it's over, because we know that the point of education is to get a mark on a test, the last six weeks of the school year were just totally wasted. I mean, movies, fill in the blank. Um, and... Um, so I just saw that bar just getting lower, 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 lower. And I kept thinking, you know, you've got to depressurize some of this for your for yourself, for your own thinking. Because I knew I knew my wife was going to go at that hard. And I knew that she would give it all that she had. But I also knew she would be constantly self-evaluating and thinking, oh, I could have done this or it would be this much better. And I wanted to just make sure that I alleviated that internal talk, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is what is it that they're educating these uh, young people to become? And they are educating them to become mid, middle managers, in best case scenario, middle managers uh, in cubicles, filling out forms and spreadsheets. That's what they're educating them to become, competent doers, not uh, job, holders. job holders, not people who are pushing all of the edges uh, for thought and for uh, development of other people, etc. They they can't they can't do that. And I increasingly became convinced, and am even more so now, is that I'll put our family culture up against any other culture. I'll put it up head to head. I think we win. And and if. If you're going to put your kid in the state school, you have to know I'm now not starting at zero and having to build in. Now I'm actually, I have a headwind. I have something that I'm actually having to fight against. Um, and I, there will be a deprogramming, not just in terms of what is education or what is my best performance or whatever. It's like, no, 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 all the value set. Now I have to be double engaged. I have to like fight and contend to pull and extract lies that start to, to bed in and then build the stuff in that I actually want built in. It's like double work. I was going to say, practically speaking, um, not to over-idealize it, but it was hard. I mean, it was hard when we first started. So our first official year, Liam's, you know, what I would term his kindergarten year, was the same year that I had our fourth. And it was very busy so you have four kids you know five and under there's a lot happening and so 
I think my ideas, I remember I created this very detailed lesson plan. I'd done tons of research about all the things that we were going to do. And it was clear just a few weeks in, this is not working. <laughs> it's not working. Whatever well, you, my plans. What, what yes. started to roll yes. out. <laughs> and I am an idealist. So I always like have to, you know, temper that. But I just could see, oh, I don't know. Because it, it was setting these thresholds to where I felt like I was perpetually bumping against failure. Come on, INFJ. Yeah, idealist. that's right. What's up? <laughs> that's right. So, I know. <laughs> but I think just recognizing and seeing now more looking back to be able to see that the circumstances were given are ordained by the Lord. And so there's, you know, the children that you're given, the needs that you're given within your, within your home, whether there's physical disabilities or learning, um, learning, you know, or multi, I would say, you know, neurological things that are going on that might affect the way that a child learns. All of those things are, are given and that, that Lord, that, sorry, my tongue is getting tight. But I just want to say that the Lord is still king in those situations. And so asking him for wisdom and asking him for discernment for your home is like baseline. Before you go following a curriculum, before you go choosing what to do or not, just pray and ask the Lord to give you wisdom for the children that you have and what you need to be learning that year. And I felt like I was slow to adapt to that just because I didn't really have any in-person mentors. I had peers I was doing this with, but we were really plowing. We were starting communities for other homeschoolers in our area. Um, we were really just kind of doing a lot of research and a lot of discussion among ourselves and just doing a lot of trial and error. And there were things that took me a few years to learn that I wish I would have relaxed sooner into them. Mm. Um, so I always want to encourage, you know, I, I heard, um, Susan Weisbauer speak whenever Liam, it was our very first year and she had talked about how you're going to have a third grader who you're homeschooling and you're going to hear about what your third grader neighbor is doing down the street in their school. And you're going to automatically think we're not doing enough. And I was like, yes, we did encounter that. Yeah. But what happens in those middle school years, it just exponentially grows because the foundations that you need are different than the foundations that are offered in a school. A school setting is actually meant to provide mass learning. So there's a lot of formatting that has to happen in a school that doesn't have to happen in a home. So, you know, we don't have to do the same exact thing in the same exact order or at the same exact time. So creating a rhythm that would work for us and that would meet the different needs within our homes, you know, where, anyway, there was just a lot of room. And I just am so, so grateful. I'm so grateful to have weathered the journey, even the, even the days where, you know, early on I would... Mark would come home from work and I'd just be like, I'm done. <laughs> just like, where's this, where do I sign my kids up for school? Because yeah. it was just such hard days. So having his encouragement in those moments to just be re reminding me of the simplicity of what needed to be done in a day rather than all these details that I think we have the tendency to want to focus on the what or the how so much. But really, it's this thread line. You are building a relational foundation, both in the Lord and together as a family, that just is this enormous springboard as they get older. You didn't say this, but I think you might say, depending on where you are, what the schools are like around you, what your kids are like, what, what kind of discipleship you're going for, various kinds of educational systems can aid you in doing that thing. I think the danger is not putting any evaluative effort towards your kid's education and just doing the default. Yes. Okay, I'm in charge of like feeding them, right. them, making sure they're generally good people. They're going to take care of making sure my kid can read, that they learn what they need to learn, and that they turn out okay to get a job in adulthood. It's kind of the mindset of 
of education. And what's the, what's the danger of compartmentalizing like that? Is that life is not compartmentalized. So you have, you talk to any adult and how can you talk about the work they do apart from their marriage or apart from their family or apart from what you're learning? All of it is connected. So it's the same as if you're to say, well, that my faith is reduced to what I do on Sunday morning. It's your faith is all of you. I mean, it is the foundation of your life. So it affects and or ought to affect all of our lives so that we are thinking about our jobs. We are thinking about our parenting, our marriage, the way we relate to our neighbors, the way that we serve in the community, whatever, that all of that is impacted. It's the same with education. So it actually gives opportunity for there to be a transfer of culture versus a competing culture. Yeah. Whereas you will have the culture of the school, whatever that is, right. they have an agenda. Right. They have an agenda. So the false thinking structure is, I'll work on character, I'll work on faith, they work on math over there, and they don't have any input into culture, realizing, no, they're discipling my kids 35 hours a week. And for virtually all families, that's more time than you put toward discipling your kids at all. And it's really naive to consider that they don't have a worldview that they're putting forward, they don't have character values that they're putting forward, and they are doing it, right? Yeah, and even even worse is what I've heard from time to time, particularly among evangelicals, is, hey, I'm just sending my kids out to be salt and light in the school system. And when I hear that, I am always shocked. I have to keep my mouth closed from hitting the floor because I think, oh, are, are your kids like St. Paul and Barnabas? Trained evangelists? Yeah, are they, they're willing to go out and they, they are equipped enough to contend for the faith in the midst of that kind of aggression, hostility, and subtle uh, subversion they are? That's amazing, because I've met zero fifth graders who are prepared to do something like that. Why do you think parents say that kind of nonsense about their children that they're handing over to a system that's anti-God? Um, I think it's a salve. I think it is a way to sort of um, soothe, probably, because I think every parent has built-in anxieties about where is it that I'm sending my kid. And I think it's a way that we justify that that decision-making, if I had to speculate. Well, I think you have more information than speculation. It is. I mean, it's we're parenting so it is an extension of ourselves like our children really are truly an extension of us and our dreams vision perspective and scope of the world and they should be right and so when there's a maybe some sort of question that comes up against how we are doing the process by which we're doing something education being the one we're talking about now there can be shame attached to that and fear attached to that. And if you're talking to a parent who's never been told, you don't have to do things the way that this, this whole program runs does not have to be education. Education is a bigger, is a bigger picture of the person and more honoring of the person and who the Lord's made them. I think there are some people that can be angry, righteously angry about that, that they haven't been told you know so i think there's so many layers to that which is why i do always want to treat it sensitively because it is the decision of the parent and also it's part of their faith in the lord and following but i do think you have got it's going to cost you something all of parenting is costly work and i think any part of us that says i'm going to delegate this part of parenting to somebody else then there's, that should be like a touch point of questioning for you to decide how well does that person know your culture? Are they going to be able to actually impart, and I would say as believers, a kingdom culture or the culture that we want to transfer as, you know, as a couple or as a family? Just returning to my earlier point, what I was going to say, I'm just thinking of, of young parents listening to this and trying to weigh their options. And I think 
I think it would be the case, um, certainly in a small town where you know the teachers that you would be handing your kids off to, and you go like, oh, I'm totally in sync with these believing teachers at the public school. I want my kids under their discipleship. That's fine. Um, we have a we have a dear friend in Cincinnati who he teaches like sixth grade math and I want my kids around that guy but you know he's 50 minutes of their of their school day but uh, my point was that when people are considering their options I don't I don't think your message is uh, keep your kids out of public school the message is please for god's sake weigh the educational options and realize I am in the disciple-making business when it comes to parenting, and I've got to consider all of the inputs that are going into my children. So um, now let's go, let's go back to after you made those decisions, you're having the frustrating days where you're telling Mark, uh, I want out. <laughs> And if I can just revisit, I just had one more thought. I remember that when Mark and I ran into the Holy Spirit in our early 20s, we had that frustrating feeling at our religious backgrounds going like, wait, aren't you Jesus people? Aren't you Bible people? Why didn't you tell us about the Holy Spirit? This enlivening, exciting, real-time aspect of, I'm not just signing up for... um, a set of doctrinal beliefs. I, I want to sign up for the electricity of life in God now and the frustration that comes with, I was sold a bill of goods. And I think that parents can feel that way if they talk to somebody like you after their kids are grown and realize, wait, I had options. Um, and that I, there, there's a number of ways I could have done this. And I think that people tend to think, I, I know that this is true uh, where I live, They tend to think either we ship them to the public school, shrug our shoulders, cross our fingers and hope for the best, or get ready to pony up 30K a year to send them to the fancy private school where the outcomes are not much better, Mm -hmm. where the kind of kids that are being produced there and the kind of culture that's there is, is, um, it's sort of like the whole, um, it's a different set of problems. It's a different set of problems. It's kind of like the divorce rate is the same inside and outside the church. Mm -hmm. There's there's issues there. So anyways, back to, I just wanted you to tell us practically. So what did you decide? What, what did it look like when you looked at your options? Did you do everything in the house? Was there a couple of days a week when you went to a co-op? What did you guys decide and how did your, I, I could ask that now, you've still got three kids that you're homeschooling. So what, what's the, what's the process that you've landed on practically? I mean, honestly, I don't think that there's been one process, and that is part of the beauty of it, is that you are learning and growing, but you're doing it with your children. So there's not this, once again, there's not this compartmentalizing of, okay, now I'm in mom mode, and I'm in homeschool mode, and now I'm in whatever other things that you're involved in. You are one person. And you are interacting. So when you're having a hard day, your kids are going to know you're having a hard day. And that's going to impact the way that you do everything all together. Or when they're having a hard day, that's going to impact everything. So it's like, but the, the grace and the gift that doesn't feel like a grace or a gift from the Lord in the little years, it feels hard. But the gift in that is that you have to work through it together. So whether that's taking you know what, I'm getting really angry or frustrated as a parent, you know, I'm going to go step outside by myself for 15 minutes. Nobody can come talk to me, whether it's like doing something where I can breathe and talk to the Lord and come down and deal with my own emotion before I start to actually engage my children again, or whether it's something that they're working through and patiently taking time to work with their thing that they're grappling with. It is the gift is that we are building connection together and with one another, but also with the Lord, which is a life skill for all of life. Mm -hmm. 
it is something that we come back to now in their teen years and will continue to come back to because we never stop being children of God. We never stop being in family with one another. We never stop learning so and growing as people or being sanctified by God. So there's every single thing is, I think it was just so compartmentalized in the little years that I really thought of it as, okay, these are the objectives, the learning objectives that were concrete in our, you know, math, science, reading, whatever we're going to do. And I just, it has changed because our capacities have changed. And that's part of growth in the Lord. So I would say setting a rhythm has always been a gift for me, not a schedule. So not a like, okay, at eight o'clock every day, we're going to do this at nine o'clock every day, we're going to do this, but a, like a general system of, of, of to how we are going to move through our day. So usually we did start around the same time every day. And from there, it would be like, first, we're going to do this. Everybody's going to wake up and we're going to have breakfast, clean our rooms or make our beds, get dressed, kind of just move into our day together, do our chores together. But the thing is, is I would say just even on that point is when the kids get older, they're helping run the home with me. It doesn't fall just to my own you know, my own capacities, that I'm the one that's in charge of doing all the things. They are learning ownership for the home to themselves because it's their dwelling place too. It's not just mine. Like, uh, it's very funny as we're having this conversation, the uh, children are very interested in this conversation. Because this is the way we live our lives. Yeah, but they probably not hear you talk about it very often. You mentioned the sequence of things. Have you ever used a private school or a a co-op or anything like that? Uh, classical conversations had not been anywhere in our area. So our first year of homeschooling, we drove to a community an hour away to be a part of one, once a week. And Olive was just an infant, my youngest. And so we would pack the porta play, the pack and play. We'd pack lunches and we would just go away for a, a day. And then the next year we decided we joined with um, three other families and started a community locally in our area so that we could begin growing within our community so we've done that that's kind of i would say cc has been kind of a thread line even though we did take a break from it for a few years it's been a common thread um, definitely through our teen years and so we've done in the little years also i had a college student because we live in a college town we had a college student come to the house two mornings a week and she would help with just very practical things, sometimes helping me with grocery shopping, or she would maybe play with the baby while I was doing a lesson of some sort. So there was a lot of um, just logistical support in that way in the little, like in those really little years where I had a lot of, um, just a lot of logistical management with little kids. But now, now that kind of transitioned later into the elementary school years when they were able to do more on their own not academically but helping with the house um, helping at the grocery store helping making meals they were able to learn all of those things which really lightened the load and now you know we're back to they all have jobs and are working outside of the home and so we're navigating a new you know, new territory again of how the household runs. But there were a lot of practical supports in that way. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah, I've quoted my sister before uh, when we've talked about large families. Great episode, by the way. And she says that if you've trained your children well, um, once they get to a certain age, not only are they not taxing you they're actually helping the house run to the point that she said I could add five more kids to our system it wouldn't make anything harder on me because my adult children run the house once they get about 12 years old if they're trained they can do everything I can do so I might step in and answer a algebra challenge or something but otherwise they can chop an onion as good as I can and start the laundry. Um, okay, so uh, let me put this up on a tee that either of you can answer because I'm just thinking of 
what I've seen, abuses I've seen. So, okay, classical conversations. Oh boy, learning Latin and considering a Bible verse every once in a while. So, uh, can you, you could stick your kid into a classical conversations machine and then you get this, you get St. Paul on the other side, right? So I could just, I get to like, you know, you can make, you can make anything an idol including a curriculum. What do you define by what do you, what do you Anything you that idol? you are going to trust in instead of the Lord. So you can do that with any aspect of parenting. And there's a lot of information and a lot of experts out there who will give you fodder for that. But I think, you know, what it comes down to is this regular conversation with the Lord about what he's doing with your family in that particular time and what they need, what they need to be learning, what you need to be learning. And I've had different capacities as a parent. Like I have way different capacity now for some things than I did a decade ago. But the Lord has been a constant thread line to meet me in that place. And I think you asked a while back, like what was the thing that kind of like helped you come back on the days that felt very hard. And it was always the Lord and encouragement from Mark. And when I would come back to look at the alternatives, that at the end of the day, I truly believed that the Lord would give me what I needed for my kids, for what they needed, for what he has in store for them for life. And that it might not always look like the thing I needed. And it doesn't mean there aren't holes because for sure there are, but they have the avenues and the, the relationship with the Lord and the relationship with us to navigate when we stumble into holes, whether it's educational holes or character holes or whatever they are that we we're learning still. And so it just is always encouraging to just get back up and get back to the work again. All right, Liam, you've been loitering. Have you ever seen anybody in uh, any sort of uh, homeschooling type of situation and they didn't turn out like uh, totally mature disciples of Jesus? Have you ever seen that one? Yeah, pretty constantly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, people go AWOL. It happens. It happens. I wouldn't say that it's the majority. No. Right. I, think that's, I think that's an irregular thing. It's very sad, and most of the time you'll see the community rally, which is really cool. That's, that's something we've seen in the last couple of years is just people. That, that happens. So I think that we can, just to connect to something we've earlier said earlier, in, in the world that you guys run in, you're used to r- bumping up against families that have done something more intentional. They've made intentional choices. Um, but I just know, I just know how people are. And people will get, they'll hear, they're over here that somebody's doing this educational thing with their kids and go, their kids are great. So I'll just put my kids in the same kind of program they're in and they will also turn out great. Not realizing what Bethany said earlier, which is disciple making is a 24 hour a day enterprise and that that no school is going to make a disciple for you. There's not a program that's going to make that's going to create a culture of honoring the king inside under your own roof. And now, Liam, you're uh, you're out of your parents house what are you doing these days for education wise um yeah i'm going into my sophomore year at new st andrews college it's in in idaho um and it's it's a classical christian school it's modeled off of uh, the first years of harvard um when harvard was a christian school back in the glory days Uh let me just ask how are you hanging academically i think my 12 years of being Homeschooled prepared me well. How? Um, independence. Like, no, nobody... When I turned 13 or 14, like, mom, mom was busy with the younger ones. So it was, it was up to me to push myself academically. And what, with, with supervision and, and support. But, like, I eased into that position. Mm-hmm. And when I went to school, I was prepared to push myself. Um, and I think that's I think that's the biggest thing. There's obviously little things like I did Latin through A's and B's. A's and B's. A's and B's. I always tell this story as well. Forgive me of my own past, but one thing Linda and Roger did very well. I don't know how they came up with this. Was that by the time I was a senior, 
I had access to a car. I had a job with my own money. And they told me, this is your school. This is your academic career. Good luck. We're never going to come back and go, did you turn in your English paper? It was due Thursday morning. They, their parenting was in many ways done when I was about 16. And they expected me to run my junior and senior year of high school and figure it out and go, if you have room for the class play and you're trying to do basketball and honors classes, figure it out. If you think you can do it, try it. If you don't think you can do it, don't try out. And do you have enough money to go on that school trip? Well, figure it out because you have a job. And, and uh, I had to balance my own checkbook and I, I didn't have a curfew. If I wanted to stay out to 2 a.m. the night before a test, good luck. All the best. And I've, I know now that that totally set me up for my college years because I was surrounded by kids that were going bonkers because they had their first taste of freedom. And I figured there, this is no different. My life I lived at Texas A&M was no different than the life that I lived at home. Which is more expensive. <laughs> well, that wasn't more expensive for me. Um, I was just I was just living with friends. So instead of having my buddies spend the night at my house two nights a week, we were spending the night seven nights a week. Um, and there was more temptations to play Nintendo uh, late into the night, but, um, but it was the same life. And I, I had a job at school the same way I did at home. And I was running stuff similarly and I had to run my own uh, schedule. So what percentage of, of, uh, college students that you run up against at new St. Andrews are from a homeschooling background that's something like yours? Um, if I had to give a number, I would say somewhere between 30 and 40%. Um, it's the most I've ever interacted with. Uh, now there's a lot of them that actually did classical conversations. That was a surreal moment in the library. We were singing one of the songs, <laughs> and I was, like, very confused on what was happening. I was, You're like, wait, am I, too? am I in the in-group right. all of a sudden? <laughs> right. You were getting the same education 3,000 3, miles away from my house? It's, yeah. it, it, was, it was funny. Um, yeah, it's really cool, though. Like, we can all sing our president's song, and, like, it's, yeah, it's yeah. special. Yeah. And, um, I mean, uh, I don't know what you have to say about this, but my question is, do you feel like your uh, homeschooled-slash-classical-conversations background set you up academically for the stuff that you're reading and thinking about and discussing and and having to speak about at school now absolutely yeah um so really what it is it's either you're homeschooled or you're private schooled there are some uh public schoolers um, they'd be in the minority where you are yes yes they would um and you can generally tell the difference between the two so the private how the private schoolers work really well with deadlines, they know how to navigate turning stuff in. Managing themselves. They know how to uh, make, they know how to read their professors and kind of get an idea of what they're expecting and what they want, um, which is a new skill that I'm actively learning. Um, yeah, so they, they, they were very good at catering to what the professor wanted and a, a, a totally different skill that you learn outside of homeschooling. While as a homeschooler is uh, in like recitations, they're able to um, interact with ideas and conversate over um, topics and ideas a little bit better than the the private schoolers generally. Yeah, you're you're kind of good at winging stuff. There, that's a general. Yeah. General. And let let me ask uh, parents. So. I have not had this experience yet. Uh, tell me a little bit about your feelings and thoughts of now hearing that the culture that you worked so hard to curate is now being carried, not into the wider world. He's, he's still in a, in a bit of a bubble where he is, but he's, he's far from you. Um, 
and and just to hear him like he's celebrating the sabbath with his housemates what any thoughts on that it's wonderful and very unexpected honestly i i mean you know you whatever uh, a school does or doesn't put on a website or in a brochure you really can't I, I feel like you can't entirely trust that. The actual boots on the ground will be the validator of whether whatever it is that they say that they are, whether they actually are, yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> but we're a year in, and we've said we couldn't be more pleased, honestly, um, because they, they have an understanding of the, the goal is to produce a disciple who can think critically and then contend because they will be forced to contend. And that was actually my biggest, um, the decision or the one factor that I felt like was the biggest was, does this equip my guys to go out and throw an elbow and know how to fight? That's honestly what I wanted for them more than anything. Um, because I'm under no illusions that things are going to get better or that they'll be in a less hostile environment. Certainly not. So... Um, I am so thrilled that they found like-minded people who are going through these formative years. I mean, because college is really this sweet, weird, surreal time. Um, And, you know, the public institution where I met you, Stephen, even that institution is really different 20-something years later than what it would have been. So I feel like they're getting something of that where they are. Um, And connecting with the right kind of network of people that will be lifelong friends for them is really valuable you know we we talk about to young people all the time that you go to a to a university for three things there's credentialing there's the actual education itself and there's the network right that's what it is that you buy when you buy a graduate an undergraduate degree and so i'm pleased with the network i'm very pleased with the education um but but in terms of credentialing, they'll know how to think their way through whatever happens next. And I don't know what else I could want. Well, what, how do you rate your arrow here? A plus. Yeah, he's doing great. And it's hard. And we sent him up there and we gave huggies. And we there were tears. And we just were like, well, who knows what this year will be like. And he rose to the occasion. And he fought his way through. And I know it wasn't easy, but I'm really proud of him. We've talked about there's kind of been a thread line of disciple-making in this conversation. And I think it stands to say that your children are being made disciples of something. And so the question is, of what? Of whom? And so I think that probably early on I would have thought in terms of the college experience, I would have wanted to have a broad, like a totally different experience than his homeschool years. And I think what has been great is the physical removal. It's like, it's been a, um, a controlled transition in the sense of, it's not like thrown in the deep end, sink or swim. It is like, he's living on his own. I mean, with guys, but he's having to manage a budget he's having to grocery shop and make his own food he's having to pay bills and he does all of that and so even the fact that I mean we can talk about the academics but I think even just in terms of the equipping for life that high school that college is not seen as this extension of childhood where I just on my parents budget I'm going to live large and I'm going to play and maybe I'll go to class somewhere in there and I'll of course study enough to be able to pass my classes but I'm just going to like coast and enjoy and have the best time and I think have being able to see him grow in maturity and be able to see maturity is not antithetical to fun like those things are not at in opposition with one another that there's a way that we grow into maturity as adults and also learn to grow in joy in the work the Lord's given us to do. And that's been something that's been so joyous to see as a parent is not that he's not having fun, that he's now just doing academic work and trying to budget and do all these adulting things, but that he's learning to find joy in those things um, in the Lord. So that's been a treat. And I also feel like I want to make two book recommendations. Yeah. Can I? 
So there's two things that I feel like complement the things we've talked about today. One of them um, that I read when I was sprawled over three different stages of learning. So Liam was like maybe in junior high-ish ages. Burke um, was also in that age. Blythe was in late grammar and Olive was in younger grammar. And I read this book, um, The Soul of Discipline by Kim John Payne where he talks about the stages of development in childhood and talks about, he uses this litmus for the governor gardener guide and like how in the younger years, our children really need our governance. They really need us to make decisions on their behalf, to direct them and help steer them. They need that kind of security. But as you move to at what is at the end, which I think speaks to what your parents did well, Stephen, and what we've tried to do with our kids is as they come to these later teen years where they're in high school and transitioning to adults is actually functioning more as a guide for them. So asking questions like, okay, you've said, I've heard you say all of these things that you desire to do. What's your plan to get there? How are you going to set up a study, a study schedule to get that done? You know, you want this score on the SAT. What's your plan to do that? And like functioning as a guide to ask questions rather than giving directives to command a certain something. So that was a very, very helpful book, I think, as people are transitioning. Second book that I would say is um, You Are What You Love by um, uh, James Smith, and where he talks about the power of a spiritual habit. And he's talking about the liturgies that form our lives and how not just there are secular liturgies and they are, as we are participating in in them, these cultural liturgies, they are forming us, whether we're aware of them or not. Um, And he talks about just kind of this you are what you love, that we are, we may be able to think of the things that we want for our children or for ourselves, but really it is what are we doing with our lives? What are the habits of our lives? Because that is actually what we're training our children to do. So it's less about these ideals and these abstractions that it's actually about what are the habits of our lives that are actually creating a path of formation for our children um, and for ourselves to grow in the Lord and grow as people. You guys have both uh, touched on this, um, but when you consider kind of putting putting the educational pieces together as you see fit, that is a very entrepreneurial move. And as Liam just said, um, he feels equipped to do entrepreneurial things. You called it making up as you as you go. And um, Mark, would you give us a couple of words on uh, raising, particularly these two sons? To, to be equipped to make it up as they go and not not be the job holders that you described the public school system, which you taught in for 10 years, um, developing people, enculturating people to do. But I, you are making, and the path that they're going on is we're making builders. We're making creators um, who can create worlds as they go. Can you speak to that for a second? It's, it's really fascinating because, Stephen, you and I have talked before about how the counsel of our fathers to us was just to get a degree from the big state school, and you probably won't be actually operating in, in that degree or in that field, um, but it's the, the, the degree that counts. And so when you find yourself um, on the other side of that and realizing that, you know, most of the people in our generation, Gen X and below, will have seven or eight different iterations of a career. That's fascinating, right? That's not the world of our fathers. And with great inflation, everybody's now got advanced degrees. And so what does any of that actually mean? Well, it means that we're going to have to figure out, and my sons and daughters will have to figure out things on the fly in a way that we never did. And certainly our parents never did. So we're interested in training people who can um, identify an opportunity, make a move, figure out how to build systems and structures around that, 
and then uh, thrive because we're not going to depend upon the government to do that for us and we're not going to depend depend upon uh, big corporations that probably don't also have our best interest at heart. And so we're going to have to figure out how to start businesses, employ people, build teams, create value, generate revenue, and keep moving. And that was the last thing on my mind 20 years ago. I I didn't want to do that. I don't even consider myself particularly entrepreneurial. I really don't. I know people who are serious, like died in the blue, all the way down to their root structures, entrepreneurs. And I don't think of myself in those terms. But I've had to be, and increasingly we will have to be, because we're going to have to be able to figure out ways to, um, you know, generate a lot of revenue to be able to power forward the generations that are going to come. So that's a big consideration for us. We feel like we were kind of behind the eight ball on that. I wasn't trained into it. I didn't see a lot of that evidenced. And we're coming up to speed on it, and hopefully they have a leg up and an advantage in a way that I didn't. That's great. Well, uh, thanks for talking about your homeschooling journey. And as we kind of close it out, again, I'm just thinking of young families who have, Bethany, they're in your old situation. They have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. They're considering what's before them. And I think we would agree they're not looking at what you were looking at uh, 20 years ago. They're looking at a, a much more antagonistic culture. Um, just, I know that you spend a lot of time with young moms that, that might be listening and any thoughts that you would advice you'd give to young family that's kind of weighing their options? There is nothing, you will never know enough. You will never feel competent enough or confident enough or, whatever other things or feel sufficient enough for the things that the Lord has called you to do. And yet still it is this one great act of faith that is the most beautiful offering both to the Lord and to your children. And you're not alone. You're not alone in it. I mean, more than ever to speak, you know, I know that you just spoke about the antagonism of the culture, but also more than ever, there are more people in the same boat more people saying, I don't like the trajectory of this plan right here, and I'm going to go rogue. I'm going to go do something different. So find a community. Find a community for to connect into real people. There's tons of information. There's tons of resources online. But finding people to go at it together, to be able to encourage one another deeper in the Lord and in the commitment that you've made to your children, um, I just... It is the greatest, greatest gift, and that's all. My last thing is is I really want to end on a word of optimism, which is that you're going to win. It's it's going to win in big, powerful ways. Um, And I want the people of faith, you know, God's people in America in particular, to really understand that... um, that, that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the face of the earth, looking for those hearts that are completely yielded to him, that he may strongly support them, right? Um, every step that we've ever made, we stepped out in not knowing whether this was going to pay off or it would be worth it or if it would succeed. And the Lord has honored every small act of obedience and submission. He always tends to do that. So I would just encourage you, there's big, bright horizon ahead to be ambitious, to to take big swings, and to go for it in ways that just seem almost at times crazy or irresponsible, and and put more weight and more dependence on the Lord. He'll, He'll see it. He'll honor it. He does things with our little five loaves and two fish all the time. He totally exceeds our expectation. So I want everybody to be encouraged. That's more than anything. That's what I want. Great, thank you.